This coming Tuesday is Valentine's Day, and I see the beautiful red out there, the heart, the heart tie, and, and everything else going on. And so hopefully you're going to be celebrating uh, Valentine's Day. It's a day of love. It's a day of, of romance and such. Uh, when I think of Valentine's Day, I think of the four C's, Cupid's Cards, Candy, and Candlelight Dinners. And those things all happen we might want to consider a fifth C, that being cost. Millions of dollars are spent on cards, over a billion dollars in candy sales. It's like, oh, how I love me, let me count, teaching the way, you know, uh, the ways. Uh, we all know that you can't buy love, but it sure could cost you a lot this Valentine's Day. For example, Americans in total are expected to spend $25.9 billion on Valentine's Day this year. That's, B with, uh, that's billion with a B, uh, $25.9 billion. Now, those celebrating Valentine's Day this year are expected to spend an average of $192.80. That's per person. How many are expecting to, to spend that, all right? All right, just a few of you. All right, God bless you. Uh, last year's average was $175.41, so uh, it's up about $17 there. Uh, if you're in the age category of being 35 to 44 years old, you will spend on average $335.71 this year, the most of any age demographic. Uh, 57% of Valentine's Day shoppers expect to buy candy, making it the most popular category in 2023. Following candy are cards, flowers, and evening dining out, and jewelry. A few other tidbits regarding Valentine's Day, some trivia. 15% of U.S. women send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day. I thought that was good. Uh, 73% of the people who buy flowers for Valentine's Day are men, while only 27% are women. About 1 billion Valentine's Day cards are exchanged each year, which is the largest uh, seasonal card-sending occasion of the year next to Christmas. Then this one, how many have pets? About 3% of pet owners will give Valentine's Day gifts to their pets. All right, how many are doing that? All right, one, two, three, all right, few of you. Well, Valentine's Day is known to be a day of love, as I said, and since it's Valentine's Day on Tuesday, let me share with you a few uh, fun stories on love and marriage. For example, a little girl at a wedding afterwards asked her mother why the bride changed her mind. Well, what do you mean, the mom asked her daughter. Well, daughter said, she went down the aisle with one man and came back with another. <laughs> Which reminds me of a story going back to late 1940s in America. A family from a very remote part of the country was making their first visit to a large city, and they checked into a grand hotel and stood in amazement at the impressive sight in that lobby. While leaving the reception desk, they came to an elevator entrance. They'd never seen an elevator before, so they just stared at it. They were quite unable to work out what it was for. 
And as they were looking at this elevator, an older woman, an older lady hobbled towards the elevator, went inside the elevator, the door closed, and about a minute later, the door opened and out came this stunningly good-looking young woman. Well, Dad couldn't help but stare, and without turning his head and not, without missing a beat, he patted his son's arm and says, Quick, son, go get your mother. Or maybe you've heard about the husband who told his wife that a husband is like fine wine. He gets better with age. The next day, he said, she locked me in the cellar. <laughs> All right. Now, as most of you know, next Sunday is a very special day for Andrew and Lexi. It is their wedding day. And I love that picture, and I love these guys, and excited for them. And I've known Andrew since he was a little boy, and then to see him grow up in this taking place, and I have the honor of officiating it, and I'm hoping I won't cry in that wedding, but uh, I am, I'm excited for them. And now, I'm not sure if I got all the details right from what they shared with me, but at the end of their first date, it was like a five-hour date, you told me, right? Yeah? Um, Andrew takes Lexi back to her home. Well, emboldened by the night, he decides for that all-important first kiss. And so with an air of confidence, and I'm sorry that Lexi's not here, she's not feeling well today, so she's listening online hopefully this week. But emboldened by that night, he, he decides for that first kiss. And so with an air of confidence, he leans with his hand against the wall and smiling, he says, Lexi, how about a good night kiss? Embarrassed, Lexi replies, oh, I couldn't do that, my mom will see us. Oh, come on, he says, who's going to see us at this hour? No, please, she says, I would just die of embarrassment if someone saw us. Oh, come on, Andrew said, there's nobody around. They're all sleeping. No way, Lexi says, it's just too risky. Oh, please, I just want to give you that kiss. And, and this went back and forth, back and forth. And out of the blue, the porch light comes on, and Lexi's younger sister, Hope, shows up in her pajamas. Her hair's all messy, it's disheveled. And in a sleepy voice, Hope says, Mom said, go ahead and give him a kiss, or I can do it, or if need be, she'll come down herself and do it. But for crying out loud... But for crying out loud, tell Andrew to take his hand off the intercom button. <laughs> one more story that goes back a little bit, and I actually used this one back when Andrew was going into the military, when he was uh, getting ready to be a Marine. And so I've changed the names here to protect the innocent, but now that he has a, a fiancé and he's getting married next week. So... When Andrew joined the Marines, he and his commanding officer got on a train together. The only available seats were across this very attractive young woman named Lexi, who was traveling with her grandmother. Well, as they engaged in pleasant conversation, Andrew and Lexi kept eyeing one another. The attraction was obviously mutual. Well, suddenly the train went into a dark tunnel and the, the train car became pitch black. Immediately, two sounds were heard, the smack of a kiss and the whack of a, of a slap across the face. The grandmother thought, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she gave him the slap he deserved. The commanding officer thought, I don't blame the boy for kissing the pretty girl, but it's a shame that she, that she missed his face and hit me instead. 
Lexi thought, well, I'm glad that he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. And as the train broke into the sunlight, Andrew couldn't help but wipe the smile off his face. He had just seized the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl and slap his commanding officer and had gotten away with both. In other words, Andrew knew how to seize the day. Well, that day will be seized next week, so the next time you see Andrew and Lexi, they'll be Mr. and Mrs. Andrew Whitbeck, so we're looking forward to that. So congratulations in advance. Looking forward to that. Amen. And I did get their permission to use them in an illustration, all right? Well, in light of Tuesday being Valentine's Day, I want to preach this morning on the love of God. The love of God. See, God just doesn't talk about love. God gives us an example of what true love is like. For the Bible says, God is love. God is love. And so the text I select this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4. If you want to turn there, 1 John chapter 4, looking at verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in in love lives in God and God in him. Now I know a lot of Christians know about God's love for them, but their knowing about that love is more of a theological kind of understanding than it is experientially understanding it. In other words, they have learned the scriptures on love, they've heard the the love of God being preached on, and yet their understanding oftentimes is limited to a line from a children's chorus, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I like that chorus, and, and I like to sing that chorus, but for a lot of people, that's the, that's the depth of, of their understanding of God's love. Now, I wonder how many Christians can say with authority, yes, I know that Jesus loves me because I have an understanding of what his love is about. I have apprehended it. I have comprehended it. I live in it. I rely on it. God's love is the foundation of my walk with him. Now, on the flip side of this is that the daily life of many Christians is not one of walking in and believing in God's love. Instead, a lot of Christians today live in guilt, fear, condemnation. They've never really been free. They've never really rested in knowing that God loves them. And and maybe they go to church, maybe they raise their hands, you know, in the worship service, and and yet they carry this baggage with them that, that, you know, I'm not sure if I'm measuring up whatever. I'm not sure if I'm living my life to please God. You know, something's lacking in me. You know, something must be wrong. And yet Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 2, you know, we are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. He urges the church at Ephesus, you know, Jesus truly loves you. So walk as one who is truly loved by the Lord. And I think that's important. You know, live this life of love. Now, over the years, I've heard the confession of, of senior saints that have served God for 30, 40, 50, 
plus years, whatever. And, and, and yet I've also heard some of those same senior saints say, you know, I, I've never really known the joy of being loved by God. Now, on the outside, they appear to be happy, they appear to be contented, and yet inside, they're dragged, uh, they're dragged onward, they're always carrying heavy burdens, things that weigh them down, uh, fear, guilt, you know, condemnation, whatever. See, I believe these brothers and sisters simply never have understood deep down inside the love that God truly has for them. In other words, they never experienced the peace that knowing God's love brings to the human heart. Friends... You will never go after a greater revelation of God's love to you until you get sick and tired of living with fear, with guilt, with condemnation or confusion. That's why we must spiritually wake up and say, you know something, this is not the way God wants me to live. I can't go on serving God with a sense of wrath on me, always feeling condemned or unworthy. As much as I love Jesus and believe my sins are forgiven, why am I so heavy-hearted? Well, the fact is, God did not save you to allow you to live in condemnation or in guilt. Jesus said it this way in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now, one meaning of the word condemnation here is the word wrath. And what Jesus is saying is you won't come under his judgment. On that judgment day, you'll be free from his wrath. But this condemnation also means the feeling of never measuring up to standards. The feeling of never measuring up to standards. And so Jesus is simply saying to us, the believer shall not come under the feeling of never measuring up. I had shared in the last few weeks from Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, which walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, all condemnation is clearly of the devil. Paul even warned of falling into the condemnation of the devil in 1 Timothy 3, 6. It's a snare, it's a reproach of the devil. So don't get, don't get this confused, though, with conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, but, but his ministry is not that of condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts us to bring change that God wants in our lives. He, he, he convicts us so he can heal us and to bring people to a place at peace with Christ. But the Holy Spirit does that redemptively, not with wrath or condemnation. Romans chapter 8, 34. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No. For he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is seated, are seated at the place of the highest honor next to God, pleading there in heaven for us. And so what the Lord is saying is this. Why are you walking around under condemnation? 
Why are you living that way? See, God doesn't want us to live with that heaviness of heart that, that, that really brings about condemnation or confusion because he's before God right now and he is presenting our case before God because of what he does and what he's done for us. You know, who will then condemn you? Will Christ? No, Paul says. Christ will not do that. You see, the only condemnation remaining is upon those who refuse the light of the gospel. We see this in John 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation or the judgment, the verdict, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, if you love to have the word of God come and expose everything in your heart, then you are no longer condemned. Condemnation remains only for those who hide sin and love darkness. So, if you love the light, don't allow the enemy to bring you under the condemnation of, of the devil. Now, maybe you're assaulted by a temptation you can't seem to shake off, or maybe you carry a sense of, of never measuring up or a sense of unworthiness, a fear that the devil's going to trip you up and you're going to fail God. Well, friends, I believe today is the day for you to, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today, and that is this, God loves you. Remind yourself often, God loves me. Say it out loud. God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. Amen? And so my prayer this morning is that, you, that something will strike deep in your heart and that you'll be able to say, you know something, Pastor? That's where I'm at. That's where I'm living at right now. And I, I can see that God doesn't want me to live that way underneath you know, confusion, condemnation, or guilt or whatever. I, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live as, as one who is loved by God. And so Christians who live in guilt, fear, and condemnation are not rooted and grounded in his love. That being said, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read verses 17 through 21. And reading from the paraphrase, the Living Bible. It says this, and I pray, verse 17, Ephesians 3, 17, and I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. Check this verse out. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love really is. And, and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully, or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you'll be filled up with God himself. Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare uh, to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through the endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. What is Paul writing there? He is saying, church, Ephesus, church at Ephesus, be rooted, be grounded in Christ's love. 
In other words, be rooted, be grounded, to build a deep and stable foundation of knowing and understanding the love that God has for you. In other words, the knowledge of God's love to you is truly the foundational truth upon which all other truths must be built. In other words, this is what, for example, the fear of God is built upon. A holy fear of God isn't a dread that God is going to strike you down if you're caught in some little fault or sin. Rather, it's the dread of His holiness against rebellion and of what He does to those who love darkness rather than light. See, our Heavenly Father sent His Son to die for our sins and to die for our failures, our weaknesses, or whatever. And without fully knowing and fully understanding that kind of love to you, you will never have a stable or a permanent foundation. And so Paul is saying, be rooted, be grounded in His love for you. It is the bedrock of your Christian walk. Ephesians 3.18 may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the, and depth, and height. In other words, that you may be able to comprehend the love of Christ. The Greek word for comprehend here suggests to eagerly seize or to lay hold of. And so Paul is saying, make sure that you seize this truth. Lay hold of this foundational truth of God's love for you. He's saying, put your spiritual hands out and say, I'm going to lay hold of this. I'm going to put this to use in my life. So what I'm going to do this morning is share with you three things about the love of God for us. Once again, if we'll grasp these things, if we will apply these truths, I believe it'll open up our spiritual eyes. It'll help us to enter a whole new realm of joy and peace in our daily walk with Him. And so the first thing is this. The first thing about God's love, number one, is that God's love to us has to do with His treasures in glory. In other words, you cannot separate God's provisions from His love. His love has to do with the abundant riches laid up for us in glory for our daily use. Now, if in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, I, and I love these verses here, verses 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Friends, we have been given everything we need to live for him the way he wants us to live for him. In other words, God has given us provisions for everything in our life, for every crisis we face, for every trial we go through, for every temptation we face. God wants to help us be victorious through life and in life. Now, His love is tied to His riches in glory, His bountiful provisions for us. Now, the Bible says our love for God is shown by our obedience to Him, John chapter 14. But God's love to us is evidenced in another way, and that is by His giving. In other words, you cannot know God as a loving God until you see God as a giving God. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. Or Romans 5, 8 mentioned it earlier. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so God's love is tied to God's giving and his nature to give. And so God, God so loved us, he invested in his son Jesus all the treasures, glory, and bounties of the Father, and he gave them to us. In other words, Christ is God's gift to us, in whom is wrapped all we need to be overcomers. Colossians 1.19 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ. All his fullness to be in Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And, he goes on, and you are complete in him. Check that out. You are complete in him. In other words, in Christ, you have all the provisions. You have everything you need. And friends, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is enough. Now, here's our problem. Very few Christians appropriate what God has freely offered. In other words, we don't, we don't, we don't lay hold of, we don't take possession of it. All, all the treasures of Christ lie in glory unclaimed. I personally think that we're going to be in shock once we get to heaven. Because at that time, God is going to show us all the riches of his love and everything that he's provided for us, but how we really didn't appropriate them. I think again of a statement that A.W. Tozer made to Leonard Ravenhill. And he said, Len, and I quote, Len, you know, we'll hardly get our feet out of time and into eternity that will bow our heads in shame and humiliation. We'll gaze on eternity and we'll say, look at all the riches there were in Christ Jesus, and I've come to the judgment seat almost a pauper. I mean, there's so many things that he has provided for us, and yet we don't lay hold of it. That's what, that's what he's saying. Now, Romans 8, 32, For God had not only given us Jesus Christ, he has with him freely given us all things. Freely given us. So number one, God's love to us has to do with his treasures in glory. Second thing is this. God's love insists we come to the end of our human resources and claim and appropriate his bountiful treasures. Number two. Friends, this is what the prodigal son in Luke 15 is all about. It's the story of two sons. One who comes to the end of his own resources and one who would not claim his father's resources. You see, the younger son came to the father and said, God, Father, give me, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Luke 15, verse 12. The NIV says, Father, give me my share of the estate. And the substance he received and then wasted and squandered represented his own interests his talents, his abilities, all the things he used to face life and all of its problems. He says, man, I got intelligence, I got wits, I got good wits, I got a good background, I can go out, I can do things my way, I'll, I'll, I'll go out and do it on my own. 
Well, that attitude describes many Christians today. And yet, guess what? When things don't go as we planned, how soon we come to the end of ourselves and of our own resources. In other words, how quickly we, we spend all that we have within ourselves. Yes, we can figure our way out of some problems. Yes, we can find inner strength for some trials. But friends, there comes a time when famine strikes your soul. And you come to an end of yourself. You don't know which way to turn. Your friends can't help you. You are left empty, hurting, nothing left inside to draw upon. You are spent. All your fight is gone. And all that's left is fear and depression and emptiness and hopelessness. My question is, why are we still hanging around the devil's pig pen, wallowing in emptiness, starving to death? Well, this is what happened to the prodigal son. There was nothing left in him to draw on. He had exhausted all his resources. He realized where all his self-reliance had brought him. But what was it that finally woke him up? I mean, when did he really come to his senses? Here's the answer. It was when he came and, and, and remembered all the abundant provisions in his father's house. It's like he came to his senses. And he said, basically, hey, I'm starving here. But in my father's house, there is bread and enough to spare. See, he decided to go back and appropriate his father's bountiful provisions. See, the heart of God's love is found in the Father's invitation to come and enjoy a banquet of His provisions. There is not one word in this parable in Luke 15 that, that, that indicates the prodigal came back because of His love for His Father. True, He was repentant, and He cried out, Father, I am sorry. I have sinned against you and against God. I am not even worthy to come into your house. But the prodigal never said, Father, I'm coming back because I love you. Know what that tells me? What is revealed here is that the love of God to us is without strings. In other words, God loves you. God loves me. God loves people unconditionally straight across the truth is he loved us even when we were far away from him in our hearts as the bible says still sinners enemies you see god's love for us though is an unconditional love when the prodigal came back his father did not go over a list of the son's sins he didn't say, son, where have you been? You know, how many harlots did you lie with? How much money is left that, that, that you didn't squander? You know, I want an accounting. No, he didn't say any of that. Instead, the father fell on his son's neck and kissed him. And he said to his servants, kill the fatted calf, put a new robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put new shoes on his feet. Let's have a celebration. Why? Because my son that was lost is back in the household. Amen? Amen. So where is the revelation of the father's love in this picture? Was it in his ready forgiveness, his affectionate kiss, the fatted calf, the robe, the ring, the shoes? These are all expressions of his love, but none of these things are at the heart of it. 
The full revelation of love came when the father could not have real joy until he knew his son was with him in the banqueting hall. That's it. Song of Solomon 2.4, He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. Or 1 John 4, verse 10. In this act, we see what real love is. It is not our love for God, but his love for us. When he sent his son to satisfy God's anger against our sins. Friends, we love him. Why? Because the Bible says he first loved us. Hallelujah. He first loved us. You see, the son still thought he wasn't good enough to be welcomed back to the father's full provision. And he said to his dad, make me as one of your hired servants. At least his attitude was changed from father, give me, to father, make me. Check it out in your Bibles. If you get nothing else out of that parable, remember, he came to his father, give me, give me my inheritance. But toward the end, Father, make me. You see, when you humble yourself before God, God blesses you with abundant grace. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so the Father's joy could not be complete until he was sitting in the banqueting hall with his son, and he had made sure the boy knew he was forgiven and his sin had been wiped out. Now, if you were looking in the window... At that moment, you'd have seen a young man who came into a true revelation of God's love. Here he was dancing. There was music. They were laughing. They were happy. His father was glad over him, smiling at him. The son was no longer, no longer under a cloud of fear. He wasn't listening to the old lies of, of the enemy that says, hey, you're, going, you're going straight back to the pig pen, you know. You're unworthy of such love. No, the son simply accepted his father's forgiveness for he had obeyed his father's word to come in and take for himself all that he needed. No doubt he heard his father whisper to him, son, all I have is yours. There's no need to ever be hungry again. You never need to be lonely, a pauper cut off from my storehouse. Friends, that is the fullness of God's love, the very heart of God's love is that even in our darkest times, God not only embraces us and brings us back in, but God also says, wait a minute, we're not done here. Bring the fatted calf, you know. Let's, let's eat and be merry. In, in my banqueting house, there is, there is a feast and there's, there's plenty for my loved ones. And yet today we have an even better promise, and that is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. And to know, and to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, here's God's love to us. I offer you exceeding abundant fullness, provision for every crisis, joy unspeakable for your life, that you may go into the storehouse and claim it all. It's all yours. There's, there's, there's bread for you and enough to spare. Now, when it comes to that, that's the whole idea that we come to an end of, of ourselves, of our own human resources, then we begin to experience God's bountiful provision for us. Now, before I go on, let me quickly talk about the older son, because we can't miss this. The older son, you recall, is out in the field, hard at work doing his father's business, 
and he heard the, the music and what was going on, and he came near the house. He discovered it was a feast for his wayward brother, the one who had wasted, squandered his father's substance on harlots and on sinful living. Well, as the older son looked through the window, he saw the father rejoicing over the younger brother, full of delight. And this older son, the older son couldn't understand how his no-good brother could get so free and so happy and so blessed in such a short time. In Luke 15, 28, it says, he was angry. The older brother was angry and would not go in. He refused to go in. Finally, the father came out and urged him to come in. But the older son answered his dad. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What is he saying? He's saying, dad, this is not right. All these many years I've served you and I've served you well. I've never disobeyed you at any time. And yet how many of us today can relate to the older brother? Don't raise your hands. All right, but we spend years and years trying so hard to please our Lord out of a heart of legalism, living in dogged determination to always do what's right, putting at times more on ourselves than what God puts on us. And, and what God's after, church, is one thing. God's after a relationship with you. That's what he wants. And so the older son, in all of his years of service, has never known true gladness. Why? Because he's never taken advantage of his father's invitation to appropriate all he needed. Now I believe the older, the elder brother went right back to his, his same old way of thinking. You know, one day I'll have my inheritance. You just wait. One day after death does its work, I'll come into great blessings. I'll have a great storehouse. See, this is the person who is waiting to get to heaven before appropriating all the good things of God. Now, no doubt, his, his father's heart must have been broken. I believe he's told his son over and over, Son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, you know, in verse 31. In other words, you've been with me all these years, and all I've owned has been yours for the asking. You know I'd give you anything, son, and yet you did not come in and lay hold of it. Let me ask you this morning, how many years, how many years have you been on the outside now, you have a father who's been laying up great treasure of provisions for you, and yet it, it, it's there unclaimed. See, this parable shows us that by going in and enjoying his father's treasures, the prodigal son, after he repented, after he came to his sense, senses, uh, he, he had it both ways. In other words, he could enjoy the father's forgiveness. He could enjoy the father's provision. We have a scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.9. And it says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Now, we, we use this verse and we think, well, that's talking about heaven. Not necessarily true. It's talking about here and now as well. It's talking about enjoying the blessings and the provision of God while we journey planet Earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And it says this. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God 
Why have we received the Holy Spirit from God? That we may understand what God has freely given us. That we may understand, that we may comprehend everything that God has given us. To me, the greater sin was not committed by the prodigal, but by the older brother. Why? Because he stayed, the older brother stayed home, he walked obedient, he never failed his father, and yes, it's a sin to waste our father's substance on sensual living and a runaway spirit, but church, it's even a greater sin to rebuff God's great love. It's there for you. It's there for you that we may understand what God has freely given us to leave unclaimed the bountiful resources that he gave us at such a great price. So God's love has to do with his treasures and glory and it insists that we come to an end of our resources. The third thing is this. The final thing is this. God's love insists we stop focusing on our failures and sins and instead focus on the riches offered to us in Christ. Going back to the parable of the prodigal, the runaway son was not chastised, rebuked, or reminded of his sin because God would not allow his sin to be the focus of restoration. Yes, no doubt there had been godly sorrow leading to true repentance. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God in heaven. But it was a time to move on to the banqueting hall and to the feast. Church, understand that God loves you so much that he has forgiven you of your sin. May I remind you that once in a while you need to forgive yourself too? Once in a while you need to forgive yourself as well. So don't make sin the focus of your life. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. Or go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to perfection. That's King James NIV, and maybe another paraphrase in there mixed up a little bit. You see, when Satan comes and points at some weakness in your life, you have every right to answer, you know, my God knows it all, and he still loves me. He has given me everything I need to get victory and to keep it. In other words, when Satan comes and reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. And I've been studying in Revelation. His future is not that bright, all right? His time is limited. Uh, John, 1 John 3.20, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know, God knows all about me. He knows all about me. He knows all about you. And the good news is he still loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Indeed, the doors to his storehouse are wide open, and his riches are full to overflowing. So how does a person then go into his storehouse and get what we need? Two things. Number one, come boldly to his throne and ask largely for all the grace and mercy you need to see you through every trial and temptation. God urges us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, the devil has a million ways to make you feel guilty, to make you feel fearful and condemned and confused. It doesn't matter how you feel. 
simply look to God, look to God, and look to what Christ has already done for you. As we talked about a few weeks ago, you've been justified. You've been sanctified. You're being sanctified. Hallelujah. And so, you first of all, you come boldly before his throne. And then the second thing is this. You simply take God at his word. The Bible says that everything he has for us is obtained by faith. And so you come by faith and say, Lord Jesus, flood me with your peace. Flood me with your provision because you said it is mine. And Lord, I'm not going to work this up. I'm not going to sing or praise it down. I'm simply going to be rooted and grounded in a revelation of God's love for me. Now this comes not in a feeling, but rather in the word. For, for the Lord says, in my, in my house is bread. In my house is bread and enough to spare. And so you reject all the lies of the devil and you embrace God, you embrace God's word, and you say, yeah, let the devil come at me with his lies. My father knows it all already, and he's forgiven me. He has cleansed me. He's still working in me. There's no guilt. There's no fear. There's no worry. There's no condemnation. I am free. Friends, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts right now to help you grab hold of this truth of how much God truly loves you to get rooted, to get grounded in it. And if you'll do that, I believe the best days lie before you. Even when things get darker in this world, you're going to be rooted and grounded in God's love for you. And no demon in hell can take that from you. Amen? Let's all stand and repeat with closing prayer. Thank you, God. I'm simply reminding us today to go into God's storehouse and claim all that is yours. In my Father's house, there is bread and enough to spare, appropriate for your life. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for me, for, for mankind. I thank you that your, your love comes to us with no strings attached, that you love us unconditionally. You know us and you still love us. Thank you for that. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would overwhelm your church with a fresh vision, a fresh revelation of just how much you truly love us. As Paul said, man, you're going to try to comprehend it and be rooted and grounded in it, but you'll never come to a complete understanding of it because it's so vast, it's so big. And we thank you for that today. God, for those who have come this morning who struggle day in and day out, God, may, may, may they leave this place today being assured how much you love them. And God, may, may no demon in hell, God, take that from them, I pray. Help your people, help your church to be rooted and grounded in your vast love, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, just before I dismiss you this morning, how many would say this morning, you know, Pastor, I've struggled with God loving me. And, and today I receive this message by faith. And I'm, I'm going to walk by faith in the love of God. Let me see your hands. Amen. Amen. This is for all of us. Amen. Father, I pray for every hand that was raised, God. Bless them with a fresh, fresh knowledge, an experiential knowledge of your love for them. And God, 
we come against all condemnation, all worry, all fear, all confusion, all guilt. And Lord, we're going to walk in the vastness of the knowledge of your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you all. Have a, have a blessed day in the Lord. Altars are open. If you would like prayer, I'll be available to pray for you, pray with you. Have a great day in the Lord. Tuesday, Valentine's Day. God bless you all. Have a great, great day and week in the Lord. Amen.